so much, Samantha. Well, let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We started a series on understanding the church. And so you should have two lessons if you brought your lesson back from last week. And if you didn't, we have a copy of that. You can raise your hand, they'll bring that by. And you should have a new lesson uh, in titled uh, Understanding the Church, and it's ministry, ministry. So Matthew chapter 16 and verse uh, 18 was our text verse. We're just going to read that and go ahead and catch you caught up to where we are. It says, uh, Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the church, some simple uh, comprehension of who the church is and what the church is. The uh, church certainly is a um, called out assembly, a called out body of believers uh, that build their life on Jesus Christ. Uh, our Christian faith, our church that we have is not built on traditions and it's not built on man, it's not built on movements, it's built on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so everything about the church revolves around the idea of Christ being the foundation. And he gives commands uh, to his church to follow. I mentioned it last week, the first time he met the church is mentioned, it, it's identified in the verse we just read. And it establishes the foundation is on Christ. The last time the church is mentioned is in Revelation 3.16 in reference to the Laodicean church, uh, which means Laos, which means the people, and uh, decay, which means customs or right. So the Laodicean church was a church was characterized by being focused and committed to our rights. We have our rights. And certainly you see that very clearly in uh, the culture in which we live. Everybody's worried about their rights. And that floods into the church even. And you have to deal with those things and issues in the church. And so uh, we, what we've been doing, we're just going through um, from Matthew to Revelation, just highlighting as in order the church is mentioned and looking at what it is that's revealed about the church and how we can understand that and apply it into our lives. We mentioned this last week. The first point is just the church is a place to discipline, discipline disobedient brethren. And I just thought it was interesting that the first time after Jesus says that uh, he was the foundation of the church, the very next thing he says about the church is you need to discipline the brethren. And uh, that's something that's foreign in um, American church uh, uh, American churches today, uh, but certainly it is a practice that ought to be exercised to maintain proper relationships. Uh, if you've been offended, there's an offense, you're supposed to go to your brother and get things right. If you don't get things right or you can't make things right, then you're supposed to take two or three with you to confront the situation and try to make things right. If you don't do that, if it won't respond to that, Jesus said, you're to bring them before the church. And the amazing thing is that establishes, letter A, just in your notes if you didn't have his fill in, uh, it establishes personal responsibility. And we have to take personal responsibility on ourselves to maintain Christian relationships. 
And now um, uh, there's been some things I had to deal with in our Christian school, and I was just dealing with a couple of the teenagers about some relationship problems, and, and I just laid it out to them. you got to take responsibility for yourself. And you, we do not conduct ourselves as the world. We don't have a spirit of hate. We don't have a, a spirit of a, aggression or vengeance. Uh, we're supposed to confess our faults one towards another, and we're supposed to repent of our sins, and we're supposed to pray for one another and forgive one another. That's how Christians are supposed to act. But it's hard to get people to take personal responsibility in their relationships. So uh, he establishes this discipline, if you will, in the church to, to establish personal responsibility. Then uh, we looked at spiritual reliability. And uh, uh, you trust in what God has said. God has the answer for every problem and difficulty that we have in life. And so we can turn to the, the word of God and get a foundation or direction on how we are to live and how we're to respond one towards another. And then we looked at uh, corporal uh, accountability. In other words, as a whole body, as a whole church, we're accountable one towards another. Uh, we don't live ourselves, our lives unto ourselves. We live our life uh, surrendered to one another, knowing that we're to minister the grace of God one towards another. Leonard Ravenhill said, today's church wants to be raptured from responsibility. And I think that's just as across the board in human society right now, everybody wants to be released from any responsibility. Uh, don't expect anything out of me. Uh, the, the character of people coming out the church many times is they're looking for a church to find what the church can do for them. When in reality, we're supposed to find a church where we can serve in the church. And uh, the living the Christian life is not about how much I can get people to do for me. It's about me doing whatever I can to be a blessing and a help to others. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to uh, be ministered unto, but to minister. And so uh, we need to be careful with that. Harry Ironside said we need to realize that in all things our first duty and responsibility is to God himself. And uh, we must, we must uh, surrender everything to Christ and Christ alone. I heard old preacher say years ago, God's duties never conflict. And so if I have a right relationship with God, it helps me and enables me to have right relationships with others also. And so Charles Hodge said, all moral obligation revolves itself in the obligation of conformity to the will of God. So everything, I mean, you go back to Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Everything in the Christian life revolves around who Christ is and his church. He established his church. And we have an obligation responsibility because the church is a place to discipline disobedient brethren. In other words, we're there to help uh, track one another and keep each other on track. And we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. So it's a place of discipline. Then we got into Acts 2.47, as you continue to move through the New Testament and you get into the book of Acts, and uh, we find that the church is a place of salvation. And uh, the, 
the church is not a social event. The church is not a social organization. It is a living organism that brings life to others. Now, in that process of trying to bring life to others and establishing salvation, uh, we do have fellowship together. But the focus of our fellowship, the focus of our relationship, focus of everything that we do in the church is based on the fact of gaining an opportunity to get people under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so everything we do is for the purpose of bringing people to know Christ as our Savior. So the church is a place of salvation. And we looked at that letter A, it's abundant joy. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And so uh, it was a joyful experience getting saved. And I just know I was excited when I got saved. I never got over it, I can tell you that. I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm happy that I'm a Christian. And I, I deal with our kids in our Christian school a lot of times because they're supposed to be Christians. They just don't act like they're happy to be a Christian. I'll tell you what, if, not, if you don't have nothing else in this world, you have heaven as your home. And that's enough, amen? But we just lose the joy of the Lord. You know, David would have to cry out, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uh, we need sometimes to be reminded that the church is a place of happiness. It's a place of joy. Uh, the sad thing is, oftentimes the church becomes a place of confrontation because we won't maintain the proper relationships that we're supposed to have. And so uh, it is a joyful place. And because it's a house of salvation, uh, it's based on the fact, letter B, we filled out, that was an acrid faith. It says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And so, an acrid faith. Uh, their faith was built upon uh, the preciousness of the word of God that was revealed to them through the apostles. And so, our salvation has to be acrid. We cannot muddy the waters when it comes to salvation. We need to be clear. Now, sometimes people want, are worried about somebody being another religion and being offended if you tell them they have to be saved. I remember when my grandmother died, and I was, they, I was in Bible college at the time. I came home for the funeral. The Methodist preacher was doing the you know, a service, and uh, but they said I could uh, take a few minutes and share some things, and so I thank the Lord for that opportunity. I'll never forget that Methodist preacher coming up to me and saying, well, what are you going to talk about? And I said, well, I'm just going to read from John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6, and just tell my family briefly how they can be saved. And he looked at me, he said, oh, you don't want to do that. He said, that offends people. And I thought to myself, I, told, I said, you know, and I told him flat out, I said, fellow, that, 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 that room out there is full of my relatives, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, that are every kind of stripe of religion that you can think about. And I said, and they have never heard how to be saved, and I'm telling them how to be saved. If they get offended, they'll have to get offended. So we need to be accurate in our faith. The church is a place of accuracy about what we believe in, realm, in the realm of salvation. So the church is a place of salvation. It's a place of accepted fellowship in verse 44. 
It says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. And so it's a place of fellowship. And uh, so if we get saved, immediately there is a, an acceptance, there is an identification, if you will, there is a camaraderie that immediately exists because of the fact that we're all following the same God, we're all following the same Savior. And so there, there's an accepted fellowship. And I'm thankful that when I uh, well, got saved, I, I didn't play sports growing up. I remember telling my dad when I was in high school, I wanted to play football. And he told me, he said, boy, you ain't playing football. He said, you're like a bull in a china shop. You get out there on the field, you're going to break something, and I got work for you to do around here. So you're not playing football. So I told him, I said, well, I want to go and wrestle. I want to go rough some people up. And he said, no, you ain't doing that either. You got work to do. You're just coming home. And uh, so I didn't play any sports, and I got saved, and I was excited. We had a church picnic, and so what did they do? They pl play baseball, and they wanted me to go out and play baseball with them. I'm like, I can't even hit the broadside of a barn and uh, throwing a ball. I certainly can't catch anything, but anyway, I went out, and they put me out where they thought it would be safe, amen, and uh, where it wouldn't be uh, any problem to the team. And certainly somebody's hit the ball out there to me. And I missed it. I missed it completely. And I, when I did, I let out a good cuss word, man, I'll tell you. And I was newly saved. You know, the amazing thing was this. Not one man on that baseball team said anything derogatory towards me when curse word came out of my mouth. Because they knew and they understood that I was newly saved. And I had a long ways to grow and a long ways to mature. And it was more important for them to establish an acceptability, if you will, or acceptance of fellowship together because we're born-again Christians and we're saved and we identify with Christ. Now, I'll tell you what, the Lord's brought me a long ways from what I was before I got saved. And, uh, and I, I learned a tremendous lesson that the church is a place of salvation and that salvation creates a spirit of acceptance. We should not look at people with disdain or caution. Matter of fact, Paul said we're, we're supposed to receive them without doubtful disputations. But in the world we're living in with, with all kinds of shootings and all this, that, and the other, everybody's got a wild eye about anybody that comes into church that doesn't look right. Now, I understand we need to be safe. Now, I understand we need to conduct ourselves in a safe way. But bless God, there has to be a balance here of accepting the brethren in Christ. Somebody gets saved, they're a new creature. And the church is a place of salvation that creates that place of acceptance. But then there's the assured unity in verse 46. It says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and the singleness of heart. And so there was assured unity. I mean, they were one. And, uh, you know, it's okay. today it's like you're not supposed to be loyal to anything. And I just, I, I just get troubled sometimes. You know, this is our church, folks. It, and it's, it's okay they say, I'm glad this is my church. It's, a, it's okay to stand up for one another because you're a part of the church. We're the local assembly here in Tom's River. We're to be glad 
that God has brought us together and we're united together. It's not to be fractioned and everybody going their own separate ways. And, uh, and I tell you, the church in America has so far strayed away from this sense of unity in the body. John R. Ray said this, What a compelling motive we have for prayer, for preaching, for soul winning, when we learn that every responsible human being who leaves this world without a definite change in heart immediately lifts his eyes in hells, tormented in flame. And the reality of hell also calls us to rejoice in the fact that the church is a place of salvation. And we must keep the church as a place of salvation. We want people to come to know Christ as, as their Lord. Well, I've got to get going here. I won't get through the new lesson. Uh, it, the church is a place also of great persecution. As you continue through the book of Acts, and as you uh, follow the different places where the church is mentioned, uh, in the order just going from uh, Matthew to Revelation, uh, you find in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Saul was consenting unto his death. That's the death of Stephen. It says, and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. There's the church mentioned again, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the, the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed, committed them to prison. So the church, the early church, was a place of great persecution. The church around the world is a place of great persecution. Jesus said, oh, uh, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So the church is a place of tribulation, but yet we as believers act like it's a strange thing if we have to go through some trials. But the reality is we have an enemy that's fighting against us, and because there is an enemy fighting against us, then we need to take a stand and recognize that the church is going to be a place of, of uh, aggression. So it's a warned aggression. Uh, that's what Jesus had warned about, and I already quoted the verse, that in the world you shall have tribulation. He warned the believers. He warned the, the disciples uh, that get ready because in the church there's going to be an aggressive spirit against you. Hey, the unsaved crowd does not hold to the values that a Christian holds to. Uh, the, the unsaved world certainly is not concerned about us living our Christian life the way we see it in the scriptures. And so that creates an environment of aggression against us. <clears throat> and we see that, that, going, that going on every day in the news. You can read these things going on. But wait a minute, we can be of good cheer. Uh, we're still on the winning side. Uh, things, the reality is, folks, things are not going to get better in this world. They're not. They're going to become more wicked and more corrupt and more vile and more aggressive because the reality is the world is setting up for the tribulation period. And so you're not going to stop that. And you're not going to change that. But in the process of getting there, we can certainly experience revival. 
We can certainly experience people getting saved if we understand what the church is. We understand how the church is the function. Understand why the church is suffering. uh, That through those things, God will move in a great way. The interesting thing, if you study church history, uh, you, you will find that under times of great persecution and oppression, the church grows. But in times of wealth and prosperity, the church always fails. And uh, so uh, God has to get our attention and God needs to move in our life. And we need to understand the church. There are trials and there are uh, struggles that we're going to have to go through. I mean, the prayer list is evidence of the trials and difficulties we've got to go through. Every week we add people on here because of the trials and difficulties you have to go through. And, and you, you read the paper and you read the trends, you read of government the regulations, whatever it is. It's, and it's against Christian principles. It comes with the territory, folks. And so Jesus warned of aggression. Uh, there's a mutual aggression because it says here that Saul was consenting unto his death. And uh, there was great persecution upon the church. And so it was something that they were in agreement with. They don't have a problem with that. And uh, I go, sometimes I go to Christian Law Association's uh, meetings and uh, seminars that they do. And, and I'll tell you, the stuff that, that they're counseling us on what we need to do to protect ourselves and to be able to maintain our ministries, I'm telling you, it just is not getting any easier. And it's because we are, as Paul would write in Corinthians, we're troubled on every side. In other words, he's saying, no matter where you turn, no matter where you turn, there's problems and there's difficulties you got to overcome. And so there's a mutual aggression. Saul, the Pharisees, the Roman rule, all of them were in mutual agreement. Let's go after the church. And so uh, understand the mutual aggression. Then there's refused aggression, because in verse 4, as it talks about this persecution and this scattering of the people, it says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So they refused to be oppressed by the persecution. I mean, the more they fought against the church, the bolder the Christians became. The more they scattered them everywhere as they were taking the lives of Christians and throwing them into prison, everywhere they went, they preached Christ. The greatest thing we can do as believers in 2020 is everywhere we go, preach Christ. Tell people about Jesus. Refuse to be intimidated by the persecution in the world. Refuse to be embarrassed for Christ because the world mocks our Savior and go everywhere preaching Christ. Leonard Reeve Van Hill said this, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. You know, if you're not some big uh, rock star on the television uh, nobody wants nothing to do with you. Oh, that's how we need. That's not the church I want to be a part of. If you're not preaching health, wealth, and prosperity, giving away and selling, if you will, green handkerchiefs so somebody can blow their nose on it and get rich, 
Uh, you know, nobody wants nothing to do with you. It's all this foolishness everybody wants to connect with. That's not the characteristic of the early church. J.C. Riley said, We have no reason to be discouraged and cast down if the religion we profess is not popular and few agree with us. We must remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gate is narrow. Repentance and faith in Christ and holiness of life have never been fashionable. The true flock of God has always been small. This is the narrow way. Surely it is better to enter into life eternal with a few than to go into destruction with a great company. And I think we've kind of lost the idea of understanding in the early church, the church, when Jesus identified the church, he identified it as a church place of, that disciplines its members, its brethren, but it's a place of salvation. And because it's a place of salvation, the world will not accept it and the tr world will be aggressive against it. So it becomes a place of persecution. And then we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it's where Christians meet for teaching. Where Christians meet for teaching. We have internet, we have television, we have radio, uh, we have all kinds of things that we use as access points to be able to learn. But I believe with all my heart that the church is the main source of receiving our teaching in the Word of God. And it's because Christ established the church as the place where we gather together to learn the Word of God. I get notifications. I don't get them too much anymore. I guess they got tired of calling me. But the, these video series, they'll call me and say, well, you know, we have this new video series out on, on these particular subjects, and boy, it'll be a blessing to your people. And okay, well, how much are they? $500 to get this video series. And I've, to I've told them, I said, well, you know what? It sounds like a great series. I don't want the video. I can preach. I said, give me the material so I can read over the material. Oh, no, you got to buy the videos. You can't do it. I said, I am not running a video for people to sit and watch when they're uh, literally supporting their pastor to study the Word of God and preach it to them. The church is a place where we meet to be taught the Word of God. Long-term commitment, Acts eleven twenty six. It says, and when they had found him, he brought him to, unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Long-term commitment. Paul told Timothy, the things thou hast learned, commit unto faithful men. Why? So that they can teach others also. The church needs to be a place of teaching and preaching and instruction and discipleship. And, and the, the main thing is instructing people from the Word of God. I remember when I first came here, we started the Iwana program. I actually had some parents that were upset with me and telling me, no, that's too much Bible verse, too many memory verses. And I, and I told, told them, I said, well, you know, the kids are coming here and they're coming into the church, they need to learn the Word of God. And so we're going to teach them the Word of God. It's not too many Bible verses. 
And you know what I found? The kids will learn the verses. You reward them, you challenge them, you encourage them, and I'll tell you, you'll be shocked how many Bible verses they'll memorize. I was listening to a preacher the other day. I just wanted to check this guy out, this church and everything, and and I, I thought I'd listen to him. And I listened to him for about 15 minutes, and all he did was talk about Star Wars. I said, if I want to know about Star Wars, I'll go look at the movie. And I turned him off. I'm like, why, why are people coming in to a church to sit and hear somebody talk about Star Wars? That means nothing and has absolutely nothing to do with Scripture. We have forgotten that the church is a place where we come together to, to learn the Word of God. It's a place for teaching. Long-term commitment. They was there for a year instructing and helping these believers to get established in the church. Notice it's a focused, not only long-term commitment, but focused discipleship. Because he was there for a year, they assembled themselves in the church and taught much people. It was, um, whether it was in a group setting, whether it was one-on-one, uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission is to go on, in all, into all the world and teach them. We're supposed to teach people all things whatsoever he's commanded us. And so covering the things in the Word of God. And uh, I've often said this, my wife and I did not have anybody disciple us when we got saved. And uh, we went to church. Next thing you knew, we said somebody was inviting us to Sunday school. So we started going to Sunday school. And uh, when we went to Sunday school, we started thinking, well, wait a minute. They have church on Sunday night. We're coming back on Sunday night. We didn't have a nice Bible like this. We had a great big family Bible. That thing weighed 50 pounds. And I'd go into church. I'd carry that great big family Bible. And I had a yellow legal pad with me. And the whole time the preacher's preaching, I'm writing down everything that he's saying. And I wrote down every verse that he referenced. And when we got done church, we'd go home and we'd open up our Bible and we'd look up all those verses and just check it out and see what he was talking about. And so I just often think how important it is to understand that the church, we've got to come together in the church because it's a time for teaching, for learning. And the greatest thing you can do to help yourself grow in being discipled is to get in the church every opportunity there is to be taught the Word of God. And so focus discipleship. I see there was identity established. An identity established. In uh, verse 26, it said, and they taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, the amazing thing is this, that the church in Jerusalem, it says that the church in Jerusalem had turned the world upside down with the gospel of Christ. But the place that they were first called Christians was in Antioch. And I'm going to tell you, the church at Antioch was filled with grace, and the church at Antioch was filled with preaching and teaching and study and learning and witnessing. I mean to tell you, they were a missionary church because it would be the church at Antioch that sends out missionaries. I'm, everything in reference to the identity of what a church is is seen in the church at Antioch. And I want, I want people to be able to just look at us and say, boy, they're really Christians over there. Now, that, that church is Christian. 
And I don't want it to be confusion, de- uh, confusing. Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer said this, Christianity without disciple is always Christianity without Christ. And uh, you can do all kinds of things, have all kinds of fellowships, and do all kinds of, I don't know what you, they want to do, but I'm going to tell you, you've got to have discipleship. It's got to revolve around Christ. Every opportunity we come together, we ought to be able to walk away and feel that we've learned something new about Christ. Yale Moody said this, church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. And every time we come in the church, God feeds our soul and gives us freshness in life. And so the church is very simple, simplicity. It's not complicated to understand what the church is. It's a group of people who have trusted Christ as their Savior, and their lives are built upon him. And everything that we are is fulfilled in who Christ is, and so understanding the church, the simplicity of it. Well, we'll start the lesson. We're not going to get through the lesson tonight, but we'll start this. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, understanding the church ministry. The church is not just simplistic. But the church is a place of ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant, with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which shall hereafter believe on him to life everlasting now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise god be honor and glory forever and ever amen and i have to add a hearty amen to that the simplicity of the church is that it's built upon christ the ministry of the church is because we do it through christ uh we jesus said without me you can do nothing and so we want to minister through Christ. So what happens here? First of all, it's a place, think of the church, it's a place for praying. We have the men's prayer conference coming up um, next week. And uh, men, I want to challenge you to come to that. It's going to be a great time of meeting with the Lord. And uh, uh, our desire is that we might be able to walk away from that with a renewed understanding of who God is and what he can do in our life in a powerful way. So the church is a place for praying. Uh, If there's a a neglected discipline in the life of believers in 2020, it's the neglect of praying. And so in Acts 12 and verse 5, it says, And Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And so... Uh, Literally, James was beheaded, and when Herod saw that he was beheaded and the people were pleased that he was executed, 
he imprisoned Peter also. So what was the response of the church? Did the church take up arms and fight against them? No. The church went to God in prayer. And oftentimes we look at political things and we look at all this stuff that goes on in the world and we start developing a mindset that we have to act like the world and try to accomplish things the way the world accomplished things. No, we get a hold of God and let God fight. He is our warrior. He is the one who fights the battles for us. We can do more through prayer than we can through physical aggression. I guarantee you that. So pray. It's a place for praying. Notice it was in response to persecution because Peter was kept in prison. So the, the, the experience of praying and pursuing God was because of the fact that there was a situation that they could not control. And we're living in a world where we cannot, cannot control the outcome of the things that are in trends that are in our society. But I know somebody who can. And if we'll get a hold of God, God can change some things. If, if Christians across America got a burning heart to understand that they need to pray and they went weeping and wailing and crying out to God in prayer, I'm going to tell you something. Things would change. Men would get under conviction. People would be converted. But there's got to be prayer. There's got to be prayer. Notice it with the praying was in response to persecution and it was with sincere dedication because in verse uh, uh, 5 it says, Prayer was made without ceasing of the church. And so, I mean, they were committed to this thing. They were real in this matter of talking to God. They had nowhere to turn. They had nowhere to go. But they knew this, that their God in heaven would hear them. And so they, as a church, as a body of believers, come together and pray without ceasing. They didn't stop. Well, wait a minute. We've been praying for three days and nothing's happened. No, pray without ceasing. You keep praying and you keep praying until the answer comes through. So dedicated prayer. Notice it was brought unification because it says it was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And so they were unified together. They were going together to God and they were going together for the same purpose, for Peter to be delivered. You know, sometimes we need to get in agreement with each other. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? You know, sometimes we forget. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. And so we need to get in agreement together, being unified together, praying for things that are out of our control and out of our ability to address and change, knowing that God will hear his, his children and God can give the victory and give deliverance. The amazing thing is, we're not going to read through the whole story here, but as God will deliver Peter, he has to knock on the door and try to get in the house because people didn't believe he was out of the prison. And God can do things that will shock you what God can do. I like what E.M. Bounds said. Prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will, we will become more like God 
or else we will quit praying. I read that quote and I thought about that. Is, is it that oftentimes my prayer life isn't what it should be because of the fact that I'm not experiencing God and becoming more like God? I think we forget sometimes that our prayer life is not for the purpose of manipulating who God is to get him to do what we want him to do, but it's rather it's a time for us to get close to our God and become more like him. He went on to say prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed. And I'm afraid far too many of us approach it that way. Well, I got to pray. You know, a preacher might ask me if I prayed this morning. It's not a duty. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Uh, so praying, going to God in prayer, and experiencing all that God is. Please, I'm telling you, please be praying for our meeting next week. I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart that God's going to do something unique and beyond what man can do or comprehend this next week. And I'm going to tell you why. For the last two weeks, the devil has been fighting this church and fighting our school and fighting this preacher and fighting the other preachers on staff in this church. I'm telling you, there is an onslaught of attacks that is coming from the devil and I'm going to tell you, it's been hot and it's been heavy, but we're on the winning side. And I'm ready for God to come through. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have a time with my God come this next week. I guarantee you that. And so you need to be praying for that. Why? Because I understand what the church is. Ministry is the church praying. And what a powerful resource we have to be able to get a hold of God. We'll stop there. won't be able to finish it. We'll get going on it next week, and we'll finish that up. But 